Nobody gives a f- right? Nobody gives a f- about me. I had to give a f- about me. Hmm. You will not hear me say I'm a victim of abuse. I'm a victim of a narcissist. I'm a victim because I'm not. A victim mentality says, oh my God, this happened to me. This yeah. is so fucking bad. Yeah, it is fucking bad. Get over it. What are you going to do about it? You may choose to do something fucked up to me. I choose the consequences for that. I choose how I react. Are you really going to let a motherfucker beat your ass and then decide to give them the power of like, oh my God, don't do it. I might get my ass whooped, but I'm going to keep swinging. Welcome to the Dirtbag Chronicles. My name is Brian and I'm your host. Today we have a very different episode than any episode we've ever had. And what we have today is a non-addict sharing her experience that dealt with parents that were addicts and that, that caused suffering in her life. And she grew up without a lot of things. And so I think this is a very important uh, perspective to shine on the story of addiction and recovery, uh, because I'm sure that there are many children out there, uh, many adults out there that struggle with this same concept as Nikki did. So welcome to the show, Nikki. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. Uh, So go ahead and uh, just kind of tell us a little bit about you and what you're doing today Mm -hmm. in your life. Um, And then we'll get into your story. Absolutely. My name is Nikki. I am 34 years old. I currently work as a helicopter nurse, Um, not helicopters and like helicopter mom controlling people. I actually work on an actual helicopter as an RN in emergency medicine transport. Um, I do that full time. I have a 13 year old son and a four year old stepdaughter and a family and dogs. And I home make a lot in my free time. So that's kind of what I've got going on. I stay busy. That's good. Yes. Sounds like you're very productive and you are, um, you're a member of your, your society and and you have some respect about yourself and you, and we're going to find out more about where you came from Yes, and how you didn't get trapped in that addiction uh, lifestyle and just the the rut that a lot of us fall into because that's going to be the message of hope gotcha. that there is a way that you don't have to suffer like your parents did or Correct. anybody and I'm an addict mm-hmm. so it's hard for me to understand uh, the viewpoint of a non-addict and know? I have the opposite issue yes. and so I can have sympathy for it like I, I see what it does to families having experienced it but I can't empathize because I have no idea what it feels right. like. So I think that I'm really excited to see from two different viewpoints how like how we are here we are yeah. today having this conversation. And yeah. I'm really excited to see what it yeah, brings Yeah, this out. is going to be probably one of the coolest episodes. I was so, so excited. <laughs> All right. So go ahead and um, <clears throat> we're just going to open up okay. uh, with your story. Okay. Um, I don't know your story. I've heard bits and pieces of your story. Uh, So I'm very interested to hear your side of the story and everything like that. So uh, we can start as as young as you would like, however you would like. But the table is open and uh, I'm probably going to ask some questions because that's my job. Okay, I'm excited. I'm excited. So I am um, the oldest of three. 
Um, and so that has its own complexes with the oldest child uh, complex there. Yeah, I'm um, the oldest too. So, <laughs> so I you understand the responsibility yeah. and all of the things. Um, I am a child of not one addict, but two addicts. Okay. Um, both were also, they were not only alcoholics, they were also addicted to various drugs. And, and we may never know what all of those substances were in its entirety. But from what I picked up as a kid, there was um, cocaine was involved. Of course, marijuana was involved, but their their main drug of choice was alcohol. Mm -hmm. And they consumed in large amounts, large quantities and consistently. Um, they were also both were abusive. Um, and so towards I'm, towards you and your siblings or yes, each other, they both. Okay. So there was spousal abuse in the home. There was child abuse in the home, uh, along with neglect and all of the things that we tend to see in homes of addicts. And so they were abusive towards all three of us children. Nobody, nobody got spared. Um, as we begin to discuss, you'll see how some took the brunt in some ways more than, than others. But no, we, we all, they were fighting each other. They were hit. <laughs> Mm -hmm. It was just, it was an all out mess. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm also come from a family of divorced parents. So they divorced. We stayed with our mother because that was the safest option at the time. And that, you know, with her being an alcoholic and having her tendencies, we still continued to grow up in that environment. Dad was in and out um, until we got to an age where we could fend for ourselves. Yeah, so, so your father stayed involved. No, he would just show up randomly. Yeah. Um, and knowing what I know now as a healthcare provider, I understand that there were some very serious undiagnosed mental health issues going on. And I mean, like schizophrenia, bipolar, um, manic depressant. Um, but as children, we didn't know that. Now, as an yeah. adult and knowing what that means, I see which ties into addiction as well. So yeah. uh, he would just, no, he, he wasn't involved. He did show up to my high school graduation. Um, that okay. was the only time he was actually involved as a parent, but he would just okay. like pull up to where we were living and be like, what's up guys. And we were yeah. like, that's my dad. So yeah. it actually got to a point in young adulthood that I just told people my dad was dead because he would just disappear and like nobody could find him. And then he would just show up randomly. I was like, well, I'm an adult now. Like I'm never going to find him again. And uh, so I just told you, I was like, it's easier to be like, I don't have a parent than it is to explain that, like, My what I just explained. Yeah, yeah, he's not shit. He's never around. And when he does, like, you never know what kind of dad you're going to get. Like, is he going to be angry and violent is he going to be hostile to whoever my friends are like just yeah no it's easier just to be like i don't know that motherfucker yeah. and just go on about my day so yeah. um he did find uh, one of our parents found sobriety later in life um i was already married to a man who had children i didn't have any children of my own at the time and so when i did have my own child my stepchildren and my child got to know my dad as a grandpa so he did get that in his life um, and I'm glad that even though I didn't have a dad, I'm glad that my children got to experience a grandpa and they remember him, even though he's passed for almost 10 years now. He had cancer and passed on, but he was sober. So the last few years of his life were spent trying to rebuild a relationship. Yeah. Um, and so now the other parent, my mother, there is a we have no contact. I, I had to go no contact for me and for my family. So yeah. we're no contact. So so when you go, let's go back to your dad. Mm -hmm. So your parents are divorced. Yes. Um, your your mother decided to raise you mm -hmm. 
even though she was still in active addiction and alcoholism, um, probably has um, had some mental health issues. Absolutely. But your your father coming in and out um, shows up to your high school graduation, which mm-hmm. was one of the only times he was really involved. Mm-hmm. Um, how did that affect you as a child or teenager of not having that father mentor uh, example in your life? I think having him in retrospect as an adult with daughters that I'm raising, um, I think having him out of my life during my teenage years was actually because of who he was and what he chose to be. It made it easier than had he been because when I was in elementary school and I did have a father present, the abuse was so bad that it was better to not have him in our lives. Mm -hmm. Um, And as an adult, I see that not having a father figure around caused a whole slew of issues that I had to heal within myself before I could be a happy, independent human being. Yeah. So the abuse, um, if you're okay to talk about some of that, I would would like to touch on on that, not to uh, shine a a light or exploit you by any, any way, you know, but I want to be able to paint a picture of what it was like, because a lot of people are going to be watching this podcast and be like, Oh, look at that, that white girl on the Oh yeah. On the Mommy screen. and daddy yeah. didn't give her dessert. She was so abused. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She didn't have the newest phone. No abuse to me was, um, um, getting grabbed by the front of my head and having my head slammed up against a coffee table, literally because he was passed out on the couch, woke up and I was walking past and that was the wrong answer. And I have like, I still to this day have hair that will not grow from just getting my face beat in with a coffee table. Um, it also includes getting beat so badly that I will have scars across my back, my backside, the back of my legs. There's just whip scars from getting beaten over and over and over again belts you know electrical wires wire hangers literally beer cans anything you can think of we had vases anything you could get a hold he could get a hold of we were hit with and it wasn't just me i had a sister and i had a baby brother my sister is four years younger than i am and my brother is six years younger than i am so um another form of abuse would have been waking us up in the middle of the night, having us go down to this basement that was an unfinished basement. And there's no lights, there's no water, there's no bath. It's literally a dark room with super steep stairs pushing us down it. Now, mind you, my brother at the time was in diapers. He was an actual baby. So I couldn't have been more than seven at this time. Um, And my sister was about three or four. Waking us up, pushing us down the stairs. I'm holding a baby, which like a seven-year-old holding a baby, getting pushed down the stairs and getting locked in the basement for hours. So we're kids are already scared of the dark. We're terrified. The baby's hungry. He's wet. He's cold. He's in nothing but a diaper. And you're just fucking being, seven years old. I'm seven years old praying. Well, we went to um, my grandmother, who is never involved in our life, actually paid for us to go to a private Catholic school. So we think, oh, she's so abused. She went to a private Catholic school. No, no, no. We were actually like showing up to school with black eyes and burn marks and cuts and bruises. So getting locked in the basement for 
so, so long. Mm -hmm. My sister had wet herself. I had wet myself. And we're just sitting there like we don't know. We're going to like as far as I knew, help wasn't coming. And that is a a lesson I learned very early on in life. It's like nobody is coming to help you. Nobody is going to save you. This is your situation. You fucking figure it out because you've got two little humans that need you to figure it out. So we went up to the top of the stairs where the door was and there was just a little crack at the bottom, but it was warm. And so I'd have, of course, my brother was a baby at the time. And so I'd stick his little baby hands through it to keep his fingers warm and then his little toes through it to keep his feet warm. And the same with my sister. But my hands were too big to fit underneath. So I just kind of dealt with it Um, until my mother showed up and decided that she couldn't find where her kids were. And so it was just stuff like that. Um, Did your mother protect you at that time? No, she would sit at the table. She'd sit at the table, reading a book, drinking beer. And we're sitting here getting hurt, physically hurt, beat, slapped across the house, just just hit. And uh, she would just sit there. And then if we started screaming too loud, she'd be like, RJ, that's enough. I'm trying to read. Would you shut up? So it wasn't that we were being abused that bothered her. It was that we were being too loud about getting the shit kicked out of us that bothered her. So, no, she she didn't. She did interfere one time that I can I vividly remember. Um, <clears throat> we got held hostage in a tree at gunpoint. Okay. It's so Donna was still pregnant with my brother at the time. And Donna is your mother's name? Donna is my mother's name. Okay. Um, so that would mean I was six. Samantha, Sam would have been two, okay. three, maybe. I mean, we were little, little. And our father decided they had been fighting. Donna left, left my sister and I at home with our dad, which should have been fine. Um, But he decided that, I guess she wanted him out. I don't remember all of the details to it, but I remember our dad being like, we're going on an adventure. And we knew when he had the gun out that we had to do what he said. And I'll tell you about the Russian roulette later, because that was a real fun game we played. Yeah. Um, But he had us climb this tree and he like had my sister by her arm and is pulling her up this tree. It's uh, it's still in town. As far as I know, you can drive by and see it sometime. Um, And so we were at gunpoint. Donna had decided she wanted my dad out. She was calling the cops, whatever. And he was going to sit there until the cops came. And if they tried anything, that was going to be the end of us, which we knew, like, nobody's coming to save you. Like, and you're you're how old again? Six or seven. So your sister is about two, two to three, three years old, a little human. A little wow. toddler. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so we sat on these tree branches and with with a gun to our head until my mother pulled back up and was like, what are you doing? RJ? Which that's really not how hostage situations should ever be held. <laughs> Go ahead and do it. Yeah. You fucker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, you ain't got the balls to pull the yeah. trigger. Get your ass down for that. Yeah. Like she was just, Jeez, she had her was... own issues. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, she was just irritated that he had made a problem for her. It wasn't, it never really was about having a maternal instinct to be like, oh my God, my babies are at, I mean, if one of my children was at gunpoint, I would be calling in whoever I knew snipers yeah. and SEAL Team Six, yeah. Coast Guards coming. Yeah. You know, like there's no end to which I would go for my own children. So 
looking back on this now, which I hadn't really thought much about it, but looking back, I was like, what? She was mad. <laughs> she was mad. She wasn't scared. She wasn't concerned. She was pissed. Um, so that's the type of abuse that we experienced. Um, we also, my dad had a revolt, the same one he held us at gunpoint with. The cops showed up. Did he not go to jail for that? I don't, I, I don't remember. So this is in probably like early 90s, mid 90s? I was born in 89. So this okay. would have been mid 90s. Okay. So Josh was born in 94. So it was 93, 94. So it was early 90s. Um, Boy, and the laws change now, huh? <laughs> and for these types of reasons, yeah. because there are people that pull the trigger. Right. And so I don't remember if he went to jail or not. He went to jail so many times during our childhood. Yeah. Um, drinking and driving. I remember getting him getting arrested before my sister was born. And my grandparents in Michigan, my grandparents had to come and pick me up. I remember going to the police station and the police officers were some they were like picking me up and like letting me get in the candy dishes and stuff. Turns out like my dad was going to prison because he had had enough DUIs to actually like go to jail jail. Oh wow. And so then child protective <clears throat> services got him. We didn't know this until much later in life. Uh, and not from our mother. Um, but Child Protective Services were going to come in and take my, my which my sister had just been born. They're going to come take us. And somehow or another, she caught wind of it and just picked up and moved to Arkansas. So that's how we ended up here. Wow. Yeah. Where she had a sister who is just as big of a mess as she is. Yeah. And so, um, but yeah, so, that, so that's, that was the dynamic. There was constant fighting, constant abuse. They hit each other. She would hit. He never really hit her very often, but he would get sick of her hitting him. So he would hit us type deal. And he would, he would like put us, he would push her down and, and things like that, but he would never, I, I cannot recall a time where I remember my dad drawing like a fist to my mother or mm -hmm. slapping my mother. He would raise his hand and turn around and just knock us flying out of our chair just because we were there. Mm -hmm. um, and she was nipping at him or hitting at him. And she liked to hit. She liked to hit, too. So that was that was the that was our yeah. normal. But that was that's our wild. normal. So that's what we lived in. We also played um, Russian roulette. So he would put. He'd explain to you what he was doing. He was like, this is a revolver. It's got um, five chambers and the bullets go in here. And I'm going to put one in here and I'm going to spin it. And then he'd point it at you and he'd pull the trigger and he'd point it at my sister and he'd pull the trigger. And so he did that one time. And I was like, but we'll get shot. And that her getting shot hurts. And he was like, yeah, so what are you going to do? And I was like, well, I guess I better run. So here I am, six years old, picking up a two-year-old who was born at 10 pounds. She was not a small toddler and like running. And I remember the first time feeling that panic of like run and like just taking off running out the house, down the road, barefoot, maybe in just underwear. It didn't matter. Like when he would spin it, you knew you better get your sister and you better run. So you had to be like four or five years old. Five well, I six. think it was about five or six. Five or six. Mm -hmm. That's insane. I mean, for a five, a five or six year old to even want to take that level of responsibility for any other human being. I mean, it's just that's and that's just got to be a natural instinct. I think so, because I don't know, I never really it was never a choice for me. Like yeah. it was, you know, well, of course, you're going to take your sister. 
You're not going to leave her there. To, if you don't want to get shot, she, she doesn't understand what's going on. Right. I don't really understand what's going on. Yeah. I still don't really understand exactly <laughs> what happened. Yeah. But yeah, I never had, I never felt like I had a choice. Like it was, this is the way it is. Like you look out for them. Right. Period. So taking that into it, I mean, that was at, like, that's, I, I look at a five-year-old still like a toddler. They're still you know? babies. Yeah, those are babies. I have know? a four-year-old at home. And yeah. that's that's a baby. That's a baby. That's a baby. That's a baby. Yeah. A smart baby. Concerned. Yeah. <laughs> a baby that will tell you no. Yeah. <laughs> and tries to wipe their own butt. But still a baby. Yeah. They're babies. Yeah. I mean, yeah, five or six, you're just now learning how to wipe your own ass. Yeah. And you're feeling the need to naturally, which shows a lot about your personality and your character, too. But to naturally want to protect yes. and take care of somebody, uh, and and it shows the amount of love that you have for somebody that that's your sister. That is, and that's yeah. that's amazing to hear that. Uh, <clears throat> I'm very sorry that you had to go through that, and I'm very thankful that you made it through that. Me too. <laughs> and and all these other stories <laughs> to be able to come here and tell the story and share this with everybody. Yeah. That's that's. It's exciting. It shows a level of strength that I haven't seen in a lot of people. Um, so <clears throat> we're, we've only discussed uh, the ages five to seven. Five to seven. That's five yeah. to seven. So the, the alcoholism gets worse. Donna's cheating on her husband. My dad is cheating on my mom. Um, they're at each other, which just exacerbated things. We moved very frequently. Um, we From house to house. House to house, all within town. Yeah. But they would not pay rent. And the, so they never owned a house together. And so they would not pay rent or they would keep a place for a while. And it would just, it seems like everything was just a little bit too much for but them they to maintain. They did. They worked in fast food, both of them. And my mom ended up in a managerial position at Burger King in the 90s. So she was making, I want to say she was making thirty to $50,000 a year. In the 90s, she was not a broke bitch. Right. But she was. She was a broke bitch. Do you think she spent that money on just the, the, her addiction? Her addictions. Yeah. And so, and then over time, because we never had anything. Yeah. Like our Christmases were shit. We never had new clothes. They were always donated from other people who felt sorry for us. Yeah. Um, We never had like the crap i buy for my kids now like sweets and and lunchables and yeah shoes <laughs> yeah. we would get one pair of shoes at the beginning of the school year they came from walmart which is fine like I, I still have walmart shoes to this day but we got one pair and that was it that 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 better last you and so now i have bone deformities in my feet from like having my feet forced into shoes that were too small Hmm. So that was the math isn't mathing. And even if you use girl math, it still was yeah. not mathing. But there was a 30 pack at home every single night. But they drank cheap beer. It was Milwaukee's best. Yeah. So if you're making $50,000 a year when gas is 42 cents a gallon and you're driving a piece of shit anyways, you're not paying for child care because her mother was paying for our education. So there was not really a high cost of living, but mm -hmm. that was still too much. So the house was too big. It was too expensive. So we would move to something smaller. And we always lost so much stuff in every move. And so it just got worse and worse and worse. And it, and it as they progressed in their disease processes of addiction, you could you can really see it as an adult how like the houses got worse in worse locations. And we got 
we never really got less taken care of, but they were gone more. So we mm-hmm. were on our own more. <clears throat> Did you have any other family that was involved in your, <clears throat> you and your siblings life at, uh, you, you know, growing yes. up or, did they have anything to say about that? Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. My mother has a sister. Her name is Barb. Okay. And I disowned Barb to her face when I was 12, maybe 13, because Barb would show up to the house and she would yell at us as children. I was seven or eight is when it started. She'd come over and be like, you really need to pick these beer cans up. You really need to help clean the house. Like your parents are working. All you're doing is going to school. You should really be like keeping this house clean. And she was like legit serious about it. So she was she was involved. Now, my mother's mother was did not raise my mom. She was raised by her great aunt and uncle. My grandmother apparently traveled with the horses and her husband and all of this stuff. She Mm -hmm. was never around. So when she became a grandma, she was like, oh, yeah, I want to be involved. Let me pay for their education. Let's get them a good education, which I mean, the the insight was great. Yeah, It it helped develop me as a human. And it gave me it taught me that, like, we would take chapel every day. So here I am getting woke up in the middle of the night. Like my dad would just walk into the bedroom and we all slept. The three of us kids slept in one room and he would go from my brother's crib. And he'd walk over to Sam's and then he'd walk over to mine and he would just decide which one he was going to beat the fuck out of. And so you wake up, you're five years old and the person you're supposed to trust with your whole life, this scary motherfucker is saying, you know, it's going to hurt. Like, you know, it's going to hurt. He would like grab my sister by the ankle. I don't know if she remembers this or not, but he would like grab her by the, you know, she's sleeping. She's a toddler sleeping and grab her by the ankle, and yank her down to the foot of the bed and just start just beating the fuck out of her. And how old was she? Two or three. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Same with me. So you learn to like wake up when you hear a sound. And like there were times that I would like get up and meet him at the door and be like, what are you doing? Like beat my ass. Yeah. Leave them alone. That's insane. (laughs) That's insane. And this is all your father. We haven't even started on your mother. Donna didn't start in on her shit really until she left my dad. So when okay. I was like 12 or 13. So she was close to her sister who would come over and, and do all of that. And then we had aunts and uncles on my dad's side. And they're great. Those family members I cannot ever say enough good for them. On your dad's side? On my dad's side. Okay. They are successful, healthy, stable human beings. But they didn't have any idea what was going on. They had no contact. With it. They wouldn't contact them. They mm-hmm. wouldn't send letters. There was no addresses, no phone numbers, nothing. And so when they could track down an address, they would send us Christmas presents. But that's really all they could do. Mm-hmm. So I get to be about 12 and Donna decides, like, I've had enough. I'm leaving your dad. We're moving on. She had this conversation with you? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. We knew what was going on. We went with her to go look at houses and everything. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So she's going to leave my dad. She started, she was working with um, my best childhood friend, my her dad, selling calendars, going from concert to concert and selling like the light up roses and the glow sticks and shit. Mm-hmm. So she was traveling all the time doing that. And there is some accusations that they were having an affair. And so she would like drop us off with my best friend. And my best friend's mom would watch us. And she was nice to us, but you could tell she could not stand us kids being in her fucking house. Like, she was down low mean, but as a kid, you don't realize it. Right. But I mean, I can't necessarily, I would never be mean to children because they're they're not, they don't have a say so. And it was pretty fucked up that like, 
you're taking care of your husband's mistress's kids. Yeah. That's a little fucked up. Yeah, that's... Yeah, I mean, I can see some resentment, you know. Absolutely. But I couldn't see myself taking that out on the children. She never, she always made sure that we had like a good meal and she would like brush my hair. She was the only person to ever brush my hair as a child. Wow. Until I learned how to do it on my own. So I can't say that she was like outwardly abusive. I mean, it was much better than what we were getting at home, but it was still like, you could feel the vibe was off. And I I definitely don't blame her. And then like, if anything broke in the house, it was our fault, stuff like that. So, which we get used to that over time. So Donna leaves my dad and we move out on our own. And that's when we, Donna really starts to become abusive. She's slapping us in the face. She's, she can't really beat us the way that our dad beat us because we were all bigger than her at that point. But she was a dick. She was an absolute dick. Mm -hmm. She'd break you down. God, you're so fat. God, you're so stupid. God, you're so this and that. And like, just keep on and keep on and keep on. Now, I didn't catch the brunt of that. I caught the brunt of the abuse from my dad. Yeah. My sister caught the brunt of it from my mom. And so she hated my sister, like hated her. She wouldn't buy us clothes. She wouldn't buy us school supplies. She wouldn't make sure that, like, we went to the dentist or anything. And then come to find out, we had our kids the whole fucking time. Yeah. Uh, State health insurance. Yeah, we had state health insurance. And when the state took us out of the home, they found that my brother had, like, eight or nine abscess teeth that he had been living with. So, How how old were you guys whenever they removed you from the home? Um... I actually got removed from the home first. I um, lived in an orphanage for a little while, but that's because I was a little bit of a bad kid. Um, We all three got removed when I was about, I was 15. I was 15. My sister was 11. So my brother would have been nine. Nine years old with nine abscess teeth. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's not taking care of some things for sure. taking care of things. It was, I got some Donna stories that are pretty well. So we're to the point where you're about 15 years old. 15. And 15 is, you know, uh, uh, girls are hitting puberty, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, at that time and before. Yeah. How is, how has all these experiences with the, the abuse and the trauma, how has that affected you personally? Well, I had no friends. I've always been like on my own. I was quiet. I like kept to myself because I learned at an early age that I was different from the other children and I couldn't really figure out why. And then I went to a public school and the kids were like, why do you wear the same two shirts? I was like, well, that's, that's all I have. And they were like, okay. You know, and I was, I was just different from the other children. So it alienated me from my peers and it made me a hard kid. Like, you're not going to beat my ass. So you're not going to tell me what to do. Yeah. I'm going to do what I want to do because at the end of like, my parents don't give a fuck. What are they going to do? Beat my ass. Okay. It's not going to yeah. be as bad as it was. So I developed that mentality at a young age and it stuck with me. And it's still there. a little. Bit sometimes. <laughs> so, so here's this 15 year old child going to school full time, working full time to like buy food and pay the electric bill and do these things and uh not because your mother couldn't but because she wouldn't she wouldn't she would when she would show up you know there were beer cans and cigarettes and then she would just be gone for weeks at a time doing what she did there were 
lot of men in and out and it was a mess. So at some point the state got involved because of my little brother. So DHS was contacted because he kept showing up to school with bruises and he was unkempt. And, you know, the, the a teacher was finally concerned. Now, mind you, we had been going to school unkempt, black eyes, malnourished, like dirty clothes, and nobody, no adult stepped in and was like, this is not normal. What the fuck? That's... I, I, when I look back on my childhood, I can just let a lot of this stuff go because I'm I, I don't want it to hold power over me. But yeah. that one still pisses me off <clears throat> as a health as a mandated reporter. How do you look at these kids like if a kid shows up to school with a black eye more than once yeah. and bird marks and broken bones and you do nothing? Fuck you. You're a piece yeah. of shit. So That's... but that's why I'm where I am <laughs> now, because now I'm in a position of power where when I see that I can actually do something about yeah. it. And it may not help. Like, we know that the system is broken, but at least I'm able to do something. Right. So. Right. Have you experienced anything like that yeah. since you've been over? Yeah, child abuse all? runs rampant in Arkansas. It's, uh, it's bad. Yeah, it is. It's Isn't it high. sad? It's yeah. sad. So, yes. So, DHS gets involved. We have a caseworker. The caseworker is telling the judge, Judge Vicki Cook, everything's fine at home. These kids are just fucking bad. These are bad kids. Um, you know, that's they're not taking care of themselves. Donna's not doing anything wrong. Well, one of my aunts was like, mm, I don't know how she got involved in it, but she sent me some Polaroid cameras and was like, take pictures of your house. Don't tell your mother. Don't say a word to anybody. She had their, like, return address and all that stuff. So we have to go to court. And Judge Vicky. It's like, okay, she's asking the caseworker, you know, what do you find in this? And she was like, I find that if anybody needs to be punished, it's Nicole. And it's, you know, she's she's a bad kid. And all of a sudden, my aunts and uncles all show up from Michigan, from California, from all of these different places. And the judge is like, really? Really? And like, I don't know if you're familiar with the 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 family court but that judge was not one to be played with no she was judge cook was not nothing to be fucking with. having it yeah and i had been on the other side of her once and i didn't want it again so here i am in front of her again i've done nothing wrong but i've been made to believe that i am a bad kid like yeah. me going to school and working a full-time job at 15 is somehow the worst thing that you could ever do yeah so she like has this stack of photos and she's like i want you to explain every one of these and it's this picture of like empty cabinets, cockroaches, mold growing up the walls, um, nasty toilets. Like one of us caught a staph infection. We didn't know to clean. We yeah. kids. We didn't know. Like just all this, the, what we lived in. She was like, you mean to tell me you've been doing your weekly checks and this is acceptable and it's their fault? I want to see you in my chambers. But in the meantime, their godparents, thank God we grew up Catholic. So we had godparents that. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with godparents or not, but when a child is baptized in the Catholic Church, they get two godparents, not a husband and wife. It comes from two separate families. And they decide that they agree that they will help raise the child in church. And if something happens to the parents, they'll take responsibility of the child. And so the judge was like, your aunts and uncles are here. Do you do you guys know who's going home with who? And they were like, yep, they're going home with, the, you know. The godparents have said which mm -hmm. ones are taking. We were not allowed back in the home. We had to make a list of what we wanted out of the house. 
that was it. We went, we got separated out at that point. So Sam's living in Kalamazoo. I'm living in Frankenmuth. My brother's living in Fremont, California with our godparents. Wow. Yes. So how old were you again when you guys got separated? 15. 15. Yes. And how long were you separated from each other? A year, about a year or yeah. so. Which is a big deal because your siblings, you know, it sounds like that was your main support system. That was, was your main connection. Yes. Because the connection definitely wasn't there with your your parents, oh, your yeah. mom and dad. Absolutely. It was definitely there. Yes. So, so apparently, just from what I know, you guys got moved back to Arkansas together, back, back, everybody together. Yes. What was that like? Awful. Okay. It's terrible. So the judge told Donna, like, I'm not permanently removing these children from your care, but if you want them, you have to take parenting classes. You have to go to Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm -hmm. You have to get some help. Girl, you got to get your shit together. Mm -hmm. So Donna was like, all right. So she pencil webbed. A bunch of the paperwork that had to be done was like, I want my kids back. Why do you think that is? I don't. To this day, I could not tell you. She sometimes would get food stamps on us. She would call our aunts, which, again, I didn't learn about a lot of this until I was in my 30s. But she would call my aunts and uncles and ask for money for help. And they would send her money and she'd go blow it. So, but it wasn't, it could not have been enough money. For her to justify having us full time. But then also, you've got these people living in this house and they're kind of self sufficient. Like they wipe their own asses, they find their own food, they find their own clothes, they go to school. I'm the world's best mom there ever fucking was. Yeah. So I do this, I think deep down, I would love to believe that deep down, Donna really in her own way loved her children. In her own way. Yeah. That's the only, but she was hell bent on getting my brother back. (laughs) Let's start with that. She was hell bent on getting my brother back, not us. My brother was so young and now he's living in a home with three older brother, our cousins, three older cousin, four boys. And my aunt and uncle, they ran a tight ship. All of our aunts and uncle, they had these kids that had never had any type of structure discipline oh good lord we were awful Mm -hmm. but we didn't know any better and then not only that we had no structure and we were separated from the only things that kept us going and so it was really hard for us and it was really hard for them and there's nothing that could be done about it Mm -hmm. so donna petitioned the court and said i've done what you wanted me to do give me my kids back and you know I really think she just didn't want my aunts and uncles having us. She was like, those are mine and you're not taking them from me. So more like uh, property. Yeah. 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 So they, our aunts and uncles were like, well, Josh wants to go back. And my aunt was like, fuck no. And my aunts were like, we need to let the kids decide what they want to do. Like we can't keep them. We shouldn't keep them from their mother. Like that should be a choice that they make. So when I got asked about it, Sam and Josh had already made their choice. And I was there like, do you want to stay here with us and continue? Which by that time, I had kind of assimilated and learned that there are rules and that you have to have a curfew. I had to learn what that was. I had to figure out what grounding was and all of these things. <clears throat> when I was finally starting to assimilate to that environment and they were like, what do you want to do? And I was like, well, what are they doing? My aunt was like, no, no, this needs to be your choice. And I just wouldn't answer. I was like, whatever my siblings do is what I need to do. If they want to stay where they are, that's fine. But if they're going back down to Arkansas, I have to go. 
I have to be there. Because mm-hmm. I'm just new. Sure as shit. Go down to Arkansas, get picked up by Donna, and I knew immediately we had all made the wrong decision. <laughs> we come back to like a one-bedroom studio apartment. There's this weird guy named Larry living there who thinks he's Italian and he's like goosh all the time. <laughs> I end up like drop kicking this motherfucker a couple years later and like beating the shit out of him when he hit my sister. So it was just but Donna was doing Donna shit. Yeah. She hasn't I will say one thing about her. She is always done with the fuck she does. Like that has never changed. Consistent. She's consistent. A consistent piece of shit, if nothing else. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so do you think the uh, her addiction and alcoholism, do you think that's what caused her to be a, a lack of parent? Or do you think that she was just naturally did not a motherly person? Donna didn't have parents. So Donna didn't know how to be a parent. Therefore, she really had no way. Now, let's give it. No, you know what? I'm not even going to say that because I refuse to give people credit when they intentionally do fucked up things to other people, including me. So, no, I didn't know how to be a parent. Like, I mean, you can tell by, you know, but I figured it out. Like, I've never beat one of my children. I didn't. Yeah. I'm not saying I'm the world's best mother, but golly. Yeah. So I think Donna had no idea what she was doing and she didn't care to try. Donna did what Donna wanted to do. We were a consequence of her choices. And she not only made sure we knew it, but she didn't care to try to like deal with that mm-hmm. either. She was going to continue doing what she wanted to do. And you're there. Like deal with it. So we did. Man. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> we're to the point of your story where you're. 15, 16 years old. Mm-hmm. At this time, I mean, having uh, addicts as parents, um, you know, I could only imagine. Uh, so my parents weren't addicts. Right. My my parents were uh, Christian people. My dad was a minister. My grandparents were evangelists. Uh, you know, they ran a tight ship. There was a lot of discipline and structure and and. I hated that. And like I romanticized your lifestyle. <laughs> I'm still and like I want to do it. whatever the fuck I want to oh do. Oh my gosh, you know? I still do. Yeah. I, so I've had to learn. That's why I went that's how I ended up in the army. Okay. So okay. I'm 16 years old. I'm I have had a healthy environment. I have seen the other side. And I'm not saying like my aunts and uncles were rich, but I never had to worry about having clean like my laundry was always done by my aunt. She was doing mom shit. Um I never had to worry about going to school. Like they made sure I made it to school. I didn't have to walk to school anymore. I had a job because I wanted, I felt the need to work, but I didn't have to have one. And so I've got this normal environment, which feels completely abnormal. But I finally had started to adjust. So now I'm back at square one and it's my own fault. I've done this. I made this choice, but I'm going to deal with it. And so it's like, I'm 16. I'm back at Hot Springs High. Um, I'm living in a one bedroom apartment with my siblings. So what the fuck are you going to do? Like, you can't afford to go to college. You, you want, you want an, you know, you want an out, but you don't know how to get there. And then going to an inner city school, there's not a lot of resources. No one is coming to save you ever. Like you had that chance when your aunts and uncles came to get you and you fucked that all up. So now you're on your own what are you going to do? And I was mm-hmm. like, what the fuck? I don't know. I'll figure it out. So I did like normal teenager shit. 
and had fun and had a job, had a couple of jobs at at any given time. I'd have two or three jobs. So I worked, made money. And then my friends were all joining the military. And I was like, what's that all about? And they were like, yeah, they'll like pay for your school. And like, you get a constant paycheck. And I was like, what do you have to do? And they're like, you can pick whatever job you want. (laughs) Just take this test. And I was like, all right. Well, I wasn't a complete dumbass. So they were like, what do you want to do? And I was like, what do you guys need? Like, what what do people do? I knew nothing. Yeah. Nothing. What are my fucking options? Yeah. And yeah. they were like, well, you know, you get a $20,000 sign-on bonus if you become a military police officer. I was like, fuck yeah, sign me up. Yeah. There I went. <laughs> there she goes. <laughs> I went. I signed. I told Donna on my 17th birthday. I was like, listen, I need something for my birthday from you. I've never asked for anything. But I need something from you. She's like, what the fuck do you want? And I was like, there is an army recruiter who's coming over. I have to be 17 to sign up for the army with a parent's permission. I need you to sign me, sign away. And she was like, what? What am I getting out of it? And I was like, he's going to bring you a T-shirt. She was like, fuck yeah. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) So this recruiter shows up to the house on my 17th birthday. Donna signs, would not sign the paperwork until she had the T-shirt, which I kind of tried. I'm sure this recruiter has seen this kind of shit before. But God, he was like, I got it for you. Shut Such a problem. Like hyping her up, giving her everything she wanted to do, like totally appeasing her. He was like, you're such a good mom for allowing your daughter to do this. I just love you so much. Of course, Donna's eating that shit up. Yeah. You've met her. <laughs> and so she's like so excited about all of the, the her shirt and her. And then all of a sudden I saw something in Donna that I had never seen before. She was so proud of the person I was that she raised me to be. And I was like, Bitch, that's called neglect. What the fuck? But I digress. So she signed me up. She allowed me to sign up on my 17th birthday. I go to boot camp in between my junior and senior year of high school. I spent the whole summer in boot camp. I put on 50 pounds. I was, you wouldn't believe it now. I was a 98 pound kid. I was so skinny that they fed me muscle milk every single day while I was in boot camp to put weight on me. So I was just too skinny. I was fast as fuck, but skinny. So I put on, I come back my senior year. I've got to finish. I've got to graduate high school. This was during the war. And they were like, you've got to finish high school because you lose your bonus at 20 grand. You lose that if you get your GED. I was like, okay, sweet. I barely finished. I was, a, I'm smart. It wasn't the bookwork. I didn't want to be there anymore. Yeah. So now I've got this whole summer of experience in the real army learning all of these things. So I had my out, right? Like. I'm going to go travel the world. I'm going to go be a fucking cop. I really don't know what that means at this point, but I'm going to do it. Yeah. So by the grace of God, I finished high school and uh, I went to the army. (laughs) And then I learned a lot. I learned a lot about that's where I got my structure. And you went overseas? I did end up going overseas. Yeah. I ended up on deployment orders the same year I graduated high school. Oh, wow. Yeah. So they, I was supposed to be a military police officer and I learned very quickly, like, I'm not a big enough dick for that. Yeah. Like you have to have, like, I didn't want to be, so growing up the way I grew up, you have to be tough. It, it, we were the only white family in a lot of the neighborhoods we lived in and you have to learn to be smart about what you're doing. And as a police officer, you have to do that as well. You have to be situationally aware at all times. Mm-hmm. And it was so intense for me. And as a 17-year-old, I was like, I don't want the rest of my life to look like this. 
So I changed jobs and I became a chemical, biological, radiological, and nuclear specialist. Sounds fancy. It sounds super fancy. Yeah. yeah. But if you've ever done the job, it's not fancy. <laughs> I get done with my certifications. I come back home. It's like, fuck yeah, I'm, I'm like actually doing something with my life now. Mm-hmm. You and have I, purpose at this point. I have, perp- I have something that isn't shitty yeah. about my life. Like, and if they don't yeah. care. The army doesn't care if you're black, white, tall, short. They don't give a fuck. Are you a piece of shit? Or are you not a piece of shit? And it was so easy. I got paid to work out. I got paid to show up on time. They'll even give you an alarm clock. Like <laughs> show up to the right place at the right time and in the right uniform, which they also provide. Like it doesn't cost you any money. And and if you get hurt nine times out of 10, it was your own doing. So nobody's going to like wake you up in the middle of the night and beat your ass unless you're a dickhead. Then like everybody's going to beat your ass. But Which the, all these things you didn't even you didn't have growing up as a child. So no, no, I've got this was three, a privilege. I don't, yeah. I don't have to think about where I'm going to get my next meal. Yeah. They have hot water constantly unless you're out in the field. But even then, there's still water available to you. I remember like going to the neighbors to get a cup of water because we didn't have water. So it wow. was it was so nice. Like all of my basic needs were met by the army. And so it was great. It didn't cost me anything. Yeah. And so I ended up in Iraq. (laughs) (laughs) How was that? Hot. Yeah. Hot. I ended up never getting to do the job I trained for. They put me in a, what was called a combat MOS um, unit. I was deployed with combat engineers, which back then in the early 2000s, women were not allowed to do those jobs, but they needed soldiers so badly that they put me in there and the guys didn't want me there. And I was like, guys, I got different parts. Like, I should not be here. They're like, no, shut the fuck up and go. So I did. And it ended up being a really great experience. It's where I met my husband. Um, I came back. So at this point, I have separated from my sister and brother. Yeah. How how did you deal with that? Did you, I mean, but there's got to be some kind of anxiety with the connection that you guys have. Yes. Luckily, we had been removed once before from each other. So I knew that they would survive. They're much older now. They're, you know, when I was their age, I had jobs and I was able to find my own food and my own clothing. They stayed with their friends a lot. They were much more open about telling their friends the kind of lifestyle we were forced to live in, whereas I like kept to myself because I didn't want anybody else knowing how because nobody gives a fuck. So all they're going to do is judge you for it. Why would you like tell people like, yeah, we don't have electricity and we don't have gas and mm-hmm. the water just got shut off the other day. So bring your blanket, bring your warm socks and flick all the roaches off because they like to crawl on you at night. You know, fuck no, I'm not telling anybody that I'm going to shut the fuck up and like get through it. But I want out of it. I don't want to stay in this. So by the time I went to the army, like we had kind of talked about it. They knew it was coming. They were. I didn't know the deployment was coming. I just like showed up to the army and they're like, bring your bags, show up tomorrow. We're going to head out for pre-mob. And I was like, where are we going? They're like, bitch, you're going to Iraq. And I was like, oh, shit. So that was kind of a surprise. But um, we got it all sorted out and uh, I, they knew that they were on their own. So trying to contact them from some foreign ass cell phone in the middle of the desert. We never had a constant phone number or an address. So, like, I'd call my friends to see if they had heard from them. And I did have a good community of people that would check on them and make sure that they were okay. And then my sister was in and out of um, gated communities at the time. Gated communities. She was in jail a lot. Okay. So I could call the jail and 
I don't want, I, I really don't like talking about this because I don't want anybody to get in trouble, which I mean, I, I guess there's no way of finding out. But yeah. um, the officers would go, I was like, listen, at first they were like, you could, bitch, you got to call at these times. And I was like, listen, I'm in Iraq. I'm just trying to get a hold of my sister. Like, I haven't talked to her. I need to know she's okay. And after calling a couple of times, they, you know, they went and asked, I guess they went and asked her if, like, you get a sister in Iraq? And so they would go and get her. And let her come and talk because of the time differences. So they would let her come and talk to me and tell me what was going That's on. That's awesome. It was great. And I really yeah. am. I will always be appreciative for that kindness that was shown at no benefit to anyone but my sister and I. Yeah. So that was awesome. Which is a type of kindness that you're not, you aren't used to at all. No, so I'm still not used deal. to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, will, I don't know that I'll ever get used to kindness being shown to me. And in a way that I will I feel like I will always be incredibly overly appreciative of kindness shown. Yeah. Do you think that it puts a play on you? Do you show kindness to people when they don't expect it or to an extent? Yeah. So that depends on you as okay. a person. Um if you're an asshole and you're malicious, I will try to find out why. Like is there a solution to this? But if you're like like I will do kind things for people I care about because I can. Because I like the way it feels to be shown kindness. And so I try to treat other people the way I want to be treated. Um, but if you're an asshole, like. Fuck you. I'd be a petty motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But really, I mean, that's few and far between. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that comes from, you know, when I started, when I got to an age where I was no longer targeted, like I got bullied and like to the point that moms were like, listen, obviously her home life is not good. Like, stop. Stop being mean. Like, she can't help it. I got called Cinderella because my feet were always, like, my shoes were always fucked up. (laughs) They're like, Cinderella, the fucked up. (laughs) Which plays a big part of your insecurity and your self-confidence and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, so they uh, that's how I kept up with them until I came back. And then when I came back, I had already met my husband. And we weren't married, but we were going to get married. So I moved halfway across the state to where I currently live now. And it was like, guys, like, I'm not coming back. And they were like, all right. And so now we are where we are now. We just kind of grew up and everybody started doing their own things. And your siblings, I'm sure they have their own stories oh. with all of this as well and how it affected them. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot of trauma. It is. And to see, to see you today and see the smile on your face and – you're glowing and you're, you look, you seem happy and peaceful. Happy. Yeah. Yeah. I want to know how you made that, made that transition. Was it the military? Mm-hmm. Was it just no. bottling everything away and forgetting about it? How did no. you do it? Um, I learned, I, I was very lucky to learn several imperative lessons very early in life. And so <clears throat> nobody gives a fuck, Right. Deep down, we know, and that's where people get abandonment issues from, right? But I knew nobody gave a fuck about me. I had to give a fuck about me. Mm-hmm. So there's that. Then I learned that, you know, I'm not a victim. I will, you will not hear me say I'm a victim of abuse. I'm a victim of a narcissist. I'm a vi-, because I'm not. A victim mentality says, oh, my God, this happened to me. This yeah. is so fucking bad. Yeah, it is fucking bad. Get over it. What are you going to do about it? You may choose to do something fucked up to me. I choose the consequences for that. I choose how I react. Are you really going to let a motherfucker beat your ass and then 
decide to give them the power of like, oh my God, don't do it. I might get my ass whooped, but I'm going to keep swinging. I choose how I react and Mm -hmm. nobody ever takes that, Mm -hmm. will ever take that from me. And I really think that that is why I'm not an addict. And I really think that that's why I continued to push myself because, yeah, that childhood sucked. Yeah. Who cares? Nobody gives a fuck. Like, I can have sympathy for you. I can have empathy for you. But you have to do the work. Mm -hmm. You have to do something. And so this whole caveat of like, it ruined my life. No, you ruined your life. You made that. It's a choice that we all make every single day. And I didn't know what to do. I don't know how to be a mom. I don't know how to be an adult. Taxes? What the fuck? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know any of that. I didn't know how to use a knife and a fork and a napkin and which glasses were which. I didn't know how to have meaningful relationships. I didn't know what love was supposed to look like. I didn't know any, like, how do you get a new car? You see people in new cars and you see these kids that like have their hair brushed and you're like, how do you do all of that? You make a choice. Like, are you going to let your past dictate who you are? Like, does it shape who you are? Absolutely. My immediate go-to is always going to be defensiveness because I always had to def- had to defend myself to survive, right? So it's going to take years for me to make that go away, make it better. But am I really going to sit there and be like, I'm a piece of shit because my mom was a piece of shit? But that doesn't make sense to me. So yeah, I'm too stubborn to like sit down and take it and be like, well, this is this is the only life I've ever known. I'm more like the fuck that got going on over there. Mm-hmm. How do I get into that club? <clears throat> and and if you talk to people, I've learned that so many people want to talk about themselves. So like trying to figure out how to get into certain groups and do certain things and be a certain way. You can read so much, but talk to people. Mm-hmm. Hey, I really, I noticed that you're this. How did you, how did you become a teacher? Right. I wanted to be a teacher. How did you become a teacher? I went to school. How long was school? Two years. And they'll, they'll tell you about yeah, it. They'll tell yeah. you exactly how to do it. The yeah. world is a wealth of knowledge and it's yeah. just right there. You just got to talk to people and you have, but the, you have to do something, mm-hmm. make a choice, yeah. even if it's the wrong one. You get yeah. to at least choose a consequence yeah, of it. Yeah, and you'll learn that that's not for you. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <clears throat> I want to <clears throat> cover resentments. You know, I've on our my social media pages for the podcast, <clears throat> I get a lot of comments. And uh, we had a particular video uh, a reel on Facebook that, that brought a lot of attention. And it was a mother that, uh, Shannon, she had talked about giving, taking accountability for, uh, the DHS, not taking her kids away. She gave her kids away because she just was incapable of giving, not giving a fuck. Good for her. And, um, but she gained her children back and she has a very successful relationship and loving relationship with her kids now. And, but her kids went through the same thing that you're kind of, you're kind of talking about. Um, you know, I don't know if they went through all the abuse and and trauma like you, trauma you and your siblings trauma. did, but yeah. yeah, trauma is trauma. Struggle is struggle. Absolutely. Um, but I want to they they brought up in the comments about how do I get over that, and so what I really want to talk about is 
How did you let some of those resentments go that you held towards your father who's passed now and your mother that is still living? Mm -hmm. Are there still major resentments towards her? And what did you, what are, how did you resolve those resentments before your dad died? So I didn't, I didn't even gain any resentment until I became a mom. Hmm. So as a child, like I said, I was raised in a Catholic church, went to chapel every morning and the nuns like let you know that there are kids who have it worse than you and they experience. And then you learn about the saints and, and all that they went through. So in my head, I'm getting woke up in the middle of the night, getting my ass beat. Like my house is absolute war was better than my childhood home. That's just my opinion. It, I mean, at least I could die when you were active. And when, when I was in time. war, when I was yeah. in the war, at least I could die. You know, this, they'll put you through hell and you still stay alive. But at night, I was still praying for God to look out for kids who had it worse than me. So I never have had this mentality of like, oh, my God, this is bad. I didn't realize how bad it was. Because, again, when it's your normal, you don't know that it gets different. Mm -hmm. you, you have no idea. It just changes. So then when I became a parent, I became a step parent before I became a parent. And so now I've got these three kids and I only know my childhood, which I didn't like. I knew I didn't like. So I'm going to do something. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I know what I'm not going to do. So we're navigating that. And I'm reading like all of these parenting books and trying to be the best stepmom that I can possibly be for these small humans that look up to me. And that's when... Like, of course, I'm going to cook them dinner every night. Of course, I'm going to make sure they brush their teeth. Like, these mm -hmm. are basic things that I do. I need to make sure they do. And it was yeah. like one night, I've got these three little girls in front of the sink. They're fresh out of the bath. I've put lotion on them. They're in soft, pink, cute pajamas. They are loved. We're giving hugs. We're brushing teeth. Girls are giggling. And I, it like hit me. I was like, holy fuck. This isn't hard. This is not hard. And I realized that like. It was too easy for Donna to do anything and she did nothing and then she made it worse. And it was that's when I started developing resentments and yeah. then seeing the kind of father that my husband was when we were young. That's when I built resentments towards my dad. And when he got sober and kept reaching out for a really, I wanted nothing to do with either one of them. I was like, you, it wasn't even like what you did to me. Cause I, like I said, I'm, you don't, you may have chose what you did to me. You don't get to choose my reaction to mm -hmm. it. But it was like, I don't want my kids around this. And I don't want to expose them to you because they don't deserve that. I didn't deserve it, but they damn sure don't deserve it. And I may not be able to fix what happened to me as a kid, but I can make sure that my kids don't experience it. So I started developing these and like the older the kids get, the more that comes out and you realize that like being a parent is hard. Like, but it's when the people say that being a parent is hard. Yes. Going to work to make sure your kid has everything that they need is not easy. That is not easy. And I'm not minimizing that at all. Doing that, but making sure that they're a good human being and they learn things like telling the truth and that they feel loved enough and that they they know that when they come home, they're safe. They are the, in the safe in providing that environment. That's not always easy because like we get stressed out, all of the things. So being a parent is hard, but the hard part has nothing to do with monetary value. It has everything to do with like not being a piece of shit.
So that's when I developed resentment and I had to just kind of think about it as people do what the fuck they want to do and it might affect you, but if you want to, you'll do something about it. You'll learn from it. You'll grow from it, whatever. And by holding on to this anger, what good, what good am I doing? Right. So I just kind of was like, eh, fuck it. Like it is what it is. It's done. I can either choose to like control the environment that my children are in around my parents or I can say, fuck it. But either way, like that's my choice to make. Yeah. So I found power in that. It was kind of yeah. one of those like, yeah, I get to say so. I have a seat at this table as a parent with a responsibility to protect small little human beings. And you hurt me. And I know that you won't hurt my children. But I decide whether you get the opportunity to ever come near them. And then like kind of re- any resentment that was there really did away with, especially when I saw my dad be a grandpa mm-hmm. because he was a good grandpa. Like <clears throat> oddly enough, which also has its own consequence. You're like, man, fuck, you couldn't have done half of this. Right. right. But honestly, I just never had time to be resentful either. You know, you think of things in passing that happened to you and but you're like, but that's not how it is now. Right. Like, I won't do that. So I I just never really, why waste the time on it? I'm too busy learning all. If you're really focused on yourself as a child of abuse, if you're really focused on, you can't undo what's been done, but you have to learn things that most kids learn in a loving home. You never learned that. You have to learn that. You have to learn what that means. You have to go through the steps. You have to do the healing. So if you're doing that, you don't have time to be resentful. Yeah. You're busy. You're busy bee. What would you advise uh, somebody that is possibly in that in your yeah. past situation? What what would you advise them to do? Get help. Get help. Because at the end of the day, you have to care enough about yourself to do something about it. Yeah. And if you don't, nothing I say is going to matter. Like I've been there. I've done that. I get it. But I was never one to lay down and take it. Get some help. Reach out to somebody. There's tons of books and audio and, and things like this where we can find healing and connection and say, like, I'm not the only one who is in that situation. But being able to relate to it doesn't fix you. Right. You need to learn what trauma you have. You need to learn how it affected you, how it affects your behavior today. Mm-hmm. You need to find value in yourself as a person, because at the end of the day, nobody's going to make you happy. Nobody's going to make you feel loved. I'm happy today because I'm a happy person. Mm -hmm. I am loved today because I'm able to give and receive love freely. But it it definitely was not like that for me 10 years ago or 15 years ago. It has been an ongoing development and it's hard and it sucks. But like start work, I guess my advice would be look at yourself, figure out, start learning. You don't even realize how fucked up you are until you start learning about other people who are fucked up and what that means. And the actual diagnosis for it and, and how it affects your brain and your emotions and your body mm-hmm. and, and you and your personality. And then you can start to heal from it. Mm-hmm. So that's what I recommend. If you want to do that, yeah, do, do it. Do what you want to do, right? Do what you want to do, but do something. Yeah. Make a choice. Are there any books that you would recommend? Yes, but mm-hmm. I don't have my phone on me to pull them up. But there is one by Oprah. Oprah Winfrey did one. My Aunt Mary gifted it to us um, for Christmas. And it's by Oprah. And it talks about how trauma affects the brain. 
and the neural pet, which my mathematical mind, it just made a lot of sense on. And it explained um, how children of abuse have different brains Mm -hmm. than children who are raised normally. But there is hope like you can and you can develop a normal brain as an adult. So it's not hopeless. Like that's not who you are. That's who you choose to be. Um, That one. And then Gold in the Cracks was another book. And I'm still working through that. But it is a chapter by chapter. And you actually get to dig deep and address um, those issues. And you get to write it all out. And it walks through all the stages of life. And it helps paint a good picture. And you actually can, like, you go through it. And you do your healing as you go through it. And you start over. And you do it again. And you just keep pulling out things that you didn't realize that you had in there before. Um, another good book that I had my stepdaughters, I had them read it because they're young adults now mm-hmm. is, um, children of emotionally unavailable parents. I think is the title of it. It's cheap. It's on Amazon. Highly recommend it. Highly, highly, highly recommend it. And then once you start looking into like the type of abuse you experienced as a child and the type of parent you had, it can help narrow because there's so many issues. Mental health, as we know, is vast and scary. But figure out, like, how you were affected and then start diving into that. And you will be amazed at how much free information is out there and how many support groups are out there. I'm not one to be on – like, I don't – I've talked about things with you today that I have never spoken into words. And I don't ever want to speak them into words again. Like, it happened. It's done. And I'm not, like, pushing it down deep and, like, oh, it's fine. Right. But it's literally, what difference does it make? Right. Aside from maybe helping somebody else, it doesn't change yeah. what happened. Yeah. I grew from it. Yeah. And that's it. So, I agree with that. Yeah. I agree with that. It's not something that you have to keep pulling up and up and oh. up and, and, and yeah. It's so like it's the just... monster under your bed. When you learn how to be friends, because we all have monsters. Yeah. When you, true power to me, true power is when I can say, like, I have a problem with defensiveness. I, I tend to be incredibly defensive and incredibly protective. Mm-hmm. I'm just who I am. Those are my monsters. But I identify them. I know who they are. I know how it shows up and I know how to control it. And to me, that's true power. So when you can take these abuses that happen to you and you can learn what it means to you and what kind of a monster it is and learn how to control it, man, that's healing. Yeah. That is healing. Because now I can say, okay, anger, like I understand that you're mad about that and I feel anger, but I don't force it onto anybody else. And once it's time to go, it, it leaves. And I have been able to truly love myself for who I am. And once you do that, holy shit, holy yeah. shit, holy shit. It's you like realize, the whole world is yours now. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. So you go from like this scared human and you find true happiness and you decide that you're happy. You, you have to, it's work. It's not easy. And then all of a sudden, like, I was just like, obviously, love is not meant for me. I choose men who inevitably, as I found out, are so much like my father was. That's a healing process. <laughs> and then you're, you're like, I got to be happy with me. Like, I, I have to be. My son deserves a better mother than this. So you work on it. You do it. And then next thing you know, like, you decide, like, you're finally happy with yourself and who you are and you're proud of it. Mm-hmm. Met the love of my life. I was like, well, damn. But you have to do the work. Yes, you do. You have to do yes. the work. So that's what it takes. Yeah, that healing it brings, it brings forth a certain energy in the 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 world and in the universe where it just it it's like <clears throat> you start to work on like for me, 
I started to work on myself in one of the darkest places I've ever been, which was the penitentiary. Yes. And I'm putting in all this work because I find it so important to find out who I am. Yes. And so I start working and I, and, and I start doing all these different things to love myself again. Yes. And then I'm finally to a point of halfway through my um, this last prison trip where I'm just like, I love myself. Like I'm, I'm happy. Like it, you know, I've come to the understanding. It's like, it doesn't matter what the fuck happens to me because I always got me and yes. I'm always good. Oh my God. And it's just the security of knowing like, I'm okay. Yeah. I'm okay. Yeah. I'm okay. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. I got me. Yes. And it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And it's, you know, what else I figured out was, so the healing came mm-hmm. and then it's like, the the spiritual energy, the divine energy was like, oh, well, I want to give you more love. Yes. And so it started to attract yes. all of those things into my life. And then my purpose, I started figuring out what my purpose was. And so it was like healing, the process of of damage. And then it went to the process of healing. And then it went to the process of purpose. And then I started manifesting things so quickly Mm -hmm. into my life, uh, you know, recovery, because I'm an addict. I've I've manifested to be clean and sober and, and to live with purpose. And then I started manifesting relationships and I wasn't even manifesting like intimate relationships, just healthy people to be in my life. And because my, my energy was lined up with the love for myself, it was like spirit or God or energy or higher power or whatever you want to call it was like, oh, well, here's some more. Yeah. And so then all these healthy relationships. It's pretty crazy, it's just isn't like, it? Poof, and it's yes. like, I never experienced, I've never experienced this in my life before. It's a huge snowball. Effect. Yeah. And it's like, wow. Like, yes. okay, what's next? Yes. <laughs> like, and you got to keep rolling with yes, it. Like, yes. That's but you, ha- you have to do all of the work it takes to heal the broken parts of you. And then, you know, to anybody who hasn't experienced it, I'd like to say that if you do the work, you will feel love, mm-hmm. the, one, the likes of which you have never felt before. Mm-hmm. And you learn that all of your past is a part. Like, it happened for a reason. Mm-hmm. It may not, like, it sucks. But like, I would not be, I can identify abuse in a child quicker than anybody else on the unit. Why? Well, because I'm a child of abuse. Like I deal really well with mental health patients. I've had multiple mental health Mm -hmm. job offers. I won't take them because that hits too close to home, but I can identify it. So it helps. Like everything that you go through becomes a part of your story. Mm And you wouldn't be who you were without it. And you wouldn't have the people in your life if it weren't for that. Right. So it just catapults into this big, beautiful <clears throat> life. Yeah. But you did the work. Yeah. And you went through the trenches. And yeah. You did the healing and you kept cleaning at it and working at it. And it's so awful. That's, I mean, yeah. honestly. It's not. Healing it's not is funny. awful. <laughs> yeah, it's I'd rather funny. get punched in the face. If somebody was like, if, if, if John Cena was like, <laughs> I'm going to punch you in the face. But you're going to be healed from everything. Yeah. Three years ago, I'd have been like. Hit me, bitch. <laughs> Hit me right. Hit me. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. Because it's the easy way out. Yeah. 
but anything worth doing is never fucking easy. Never is it? easy. It's yeah. always worth it. Yeah. So yeah. Well, that's awesome, Nikki. Thank you so much for sharing a lo- like most of your trauma and and your story with us. And uh, I, I just know that somebody's going to hear this that needs to hear it. They might stumble across it. It might come across something that they never expected. And these words and this light is going to shine on them. And I'm so thankful for you and your story and the time that you came down to. Because you, you drove like six hours, After right? working a 24-hour shift. Yeah, yeah. I like got in the car. I was like, but, but that's how important that's it dedication. is. dedication, yeah. It's, like I said, I don't ever want to talk about this stuff again. Right. <laughs> but I'm glad that if it helps somebody, it's totally worth it. Yeah. And, and I'm glad that you've got a platform where people get the opportunity to hear stories that are never said. Yeah. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that wraps up our episode with Nikki. I really hope that you guys can get something from this. I ask that you share this uh, this episode, uh, share the content, um, like it, subscribe, because with your support, uh, if I don't have your support, I can't continue to do this. So I beg you for your support. Thank you so much and peace and light.